0: This is One Universe at a Time. I'm Brian Coberlein. Scientists cannot deny how useful mathematics can be in proving their hypotheses and establishing credibility for their work. But is math just a means to an end, or could it be considered a form of science unto itself? On today's program, Dr. Matt Hoffman, an assistant professor of mathematics at the Rochester Institute of Technology, will grapple with this question and explain how even mathematicians can disagree on the answer. In the context of mathematics, one of the things that often comes up is a discussion about whether or not mathematics is a science or whether or not it's a tool that's used for science.
1: The question is who it comes up with, where that's a relevant question and what what it's relevant for. But if we want to have a discussion about what it actually means i think we need to start probably with what we're defining these things as so i mean i guess i want to ask you what you think science is if we're going to have this conversation about it
0: it's interesting i would say on a broad sense science is about models that describe reality
1: so you're putting reality in there and that's that's one right. of the places where you will occasion where you will see math dinked as, right as not being you a make science. these
0: models that have nothing to do with reality although sometimes they do come right. back and, and of course bite us. now
1: we get into the metaphysics of what reality is if you're seeing it in the numbers <laughs> is there's some universal truth in the numbers that mathematics is describing right even if it's not the natural world right I mean I think right. the natural world, is something that has been attached to science, probably, that
0: dominates a lot of the discussion about whether math is going to be a science or not. Right. The simple philosophical view that a lot of scientists might use is, reality is whatever kicks back.
1: Yeah, and I think it also gets, sort of, science uses the scientific method. So there are these things with the scientific method that then get placed into the discussion. I think Gauss said, you know, math was the queen of the sciences a long time ago. Physicists Um, would
0: say, physics is the only true science, everything else is stamp collecting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Physicists would say that and, you know, mathematicians would say, well, you really need us to even have this conversation. One of the interesting things that comes up with describing it as a science is, You can try to parse the words but a lot of the time it becomes an identity to the people who are doing it Mm -hmm. and depending on the person and and what their interest is they might have a different take on this right there's the you know you're saying the physicist has this identity of oh no no we're 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 the true science right you know there's that xkcd comic where you're talking about the, the, purity, the purity of, of science, science, and you've got sociology, math, yeah, and yep. then
0: physics is well saying, yeah, we're the pure ones, and mathematicians, mathematicians are, are saying, why are you guys over there?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't hear you guys. I'm, I'm all the way over here, and, and and a lot of mathematicians will wear this as a badge of honor, you know, and, and I think that's an interesting aspect of it is so if you asked mathematicians whether they think it's a science, you're going to get their discussions colored by whether they want to be listed as a science, whether we want to associate with all of you (laughs) dirty scientists and your unclean data, you know, data is is unclean and and, and messy and and you don't have any absolutes. Right. And and in mathematics, we like absolutes. And and I think actually that becomes one of the real distinctions if you want to really try to parse it out.
0: And in physics, we take a kind of a different (laughs) approach is that the experiment is the ultimate educator. Of truth, as it were, and if you're not going to be doing that, then you might as well be doing philosophy.
1: I mean, you know, as, so far as physicists and truth are concerned, I think your frictionless spherical cow has something to say yes, about that, yes. or at least it would have something to say if it weren't sitting in a vacuum. You know, there's definitely a lot of approximations that that get made in here, and the question of where you're talking about reality and,
0: right. and where you're not, I think, right. can
1: get pretty fuzzy. But I think if you want to talk about math as a science, really, in terms of the definition, personally, I, I kind of don't like trying to say it's not. Because you then get into the discussion of what is math, but as someone who associates as an applied mathematician, and it's something that comes up in a lot of math departments throughout the world, um, as to how you are defining math now that
0: applied mathematics is a, is a bigger thing Well, and I think part of it, too, is that a lot of people, I think part of the mass majority of people who are not going to be mathematicians, in some sense, see mathematics as a tool, because that's how they're taught it. You know, if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be a a chemist or a physicist, then you have to take these math classes in order to do the real stuff, quote unquote.
1: A lot of people, and I think not incorrectly, would say mathematics is the language of science, which I think is very apt in many ways, but I think occasionally does a disservice in that it, it can also be used, I feel like, to trivialize what's done in mathematics. Because mm-hmm. you say, oh, you know, whatever, you're, you're the language of math, but let us now take everything that you've done and, and use it to do real things. That's right, important. right, right, right. You're, you're doing your, go play with your nice, language. Go play with your blackboard you know, and get yeah, to the real stuff. You're worried, and your students have this attitude because they get worried about, oh, this is this is just a really technical point. This is punctuation. It's not important to me because I can. Right. I'm going to use it to do something bigger. And, and the fact that this comma is missing, and that's really all you're complaining about, is
0: not a big deal in right. the in the big picture. Well, and um, in fairness, we do that. I mean, our engineering students taking physics often have the same approach. Yeah. Physics is just a tool to be able to do the real stuff, which is engineering. I guess you guys would have that too, and and yeah. I'm sure any English
1: majors would point <laughs> out the importance of commas and right. But that is that is something that that I think is is true in terms of talking about a language but also when you're classifying it in that way I think there's some them drawbacks that I I don't like seeing part of the reason why I, I sort of hesitate to say it's not a science even though as I think probably if you want to technically classify it maybe you would say it's not is that I think it's sort of misunderstood how close the process in mathematics is to science uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the scientific method process now the the big because you've got this this process of Observing something and whether you're talking about looking in the real world Versus looking at patterns in the numbers or in um, whatever set of axioms you have You're looking at this and you're coming up with patterns. You're seeing things. Oh, I, you know I think this could be true, right? Mm-hmm. You make a hypothesis, right? You come, you come up with a theorem, yeah, with that theorem. And, and then you try to prove it and, and I, I think mathematicians we like Propagating this stereotype of being very smart and very sort of oh yes the, this is true and this is why right right the, but, the, the brilliant genius, right yeah the brilliant that, the brilliant genius and there's there's a lot of the sort of mathematical identity I think for a lot of people that that actually likes cultivating that you know that yes math um,
0: that's really hard I could never do that it's really hard you're and, right no yeah. you couldn't no, <laughs>
1: and, and also right there is this this moment of genius sort of thing where where you're looking at something. That is the way a lot of it works, and I I think a lot of people who go into math throughout their careers as students, right, this is one of the things that's attractive. It's like a puzzle in many ways to people where, you know, and and you can be looking at a really hard problem and you're looking at it and all of a sudden you're in the shower or you're sleeping and, you know, and all of a sudden you, you wake up and, aha! Right. You <laughs> it out. Yeah, exactly. And oftentimes that's all it that's what it takes, right? I mean, that is you've you've been sort of slamming your head into a wall and then all right. of a sudden you have an insight that you didn't have. But m- making that sort of the the glamorization of, of the process mm-hmm. sort of obscures the the struggle that goes on there and and all of the right. sort of not experimentation in the way a physicist would say it necessarily, although maybe some theoretical physicists, but but all the all the sort of struggle, I think, is a lot of the experimentation. You know, right. you, you come up with a, a theorem, right? You you try to figure out the right way to approach it. You try a number of things. Some will work, some won't. And eventually, you know, you'll, you'll come up with something that will allow you to say either yes or no right. to your theorem, right? There's the sort of differences would then be whether you're using experiments and data, mm-hmm. right? Which is typically something that, that people would ascribed to science, right, right? Right. And then you've got the other issue, which is the level of proof between mathematics right. and science. And that that's a big one in many ways from a technical perspective, because in science, a lot of the time you, you look at enough data and, you know, you make predictions. And if your data bears those out, you will feel good about it, but you, you're not going to claim to know
0: truth. Right. you would never say that something yes. is now no longer up for debate. Exactly. And in mathematics you would. In mathematics you would. Say, you would. And have in, the in proof. Fact, this is yeah. not up for debate anymore. Yes.
1: And in mathematics that's exactly what you're looking for is this, it, it works for everything. Two plus two right?
0: is four. <clears throat> yeah.
1: You know, in some ways they're both the same in that you're trying to get to prove for as many cases as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just with math you want to, you want that to prove that that the, as the limit goes to infinity then that, that right then you want to have holds. all possible theorems oh. covered exactly. from your
0: initial postulates so yeah. that, that's yeah. the scientific aspect yeah. but.
1: but i think just saying math's not a science does a disservice to the actual process that happens when right. you when you're doing math that it's actually very a very similar way of thinking it's right. just that the experiments aren't quite the same type of experiments that you would think the easiest explained unsolved mathematical conjecture is the goldbach conjecture okay which is that all even numbers greater than two can be expressed as the sum of two primes. Right. right? So it's very simple right. to say, very know, difficult to prove. Very difficult to prove. Right. No, no <laughs> one has proved it, but people have, say, done what I would consider sort of experiments. In that you can certainly test a whole bunch of numbers. Right? Run on right? the computer can, and start going. Well, right. Yeah. So you, if you can do a bunch by hand, certainly. You know, six is three plus three. Eight is five plus three. So you can you can do you can imagine mm-hmm. It works. It works for those. Yeah. Right. You can you can now plug it into a computer. You can run it. I you know I think. I think they verified it for up to something like numbers of order 10 to the 18th I yeah. think some something along the lines of that right so there is i would say a lot of experimental evidence that this is pretty probably good. true P- probably true right mathematically yeah. we would not we would say it's it's unproven but but still this process right that people are working on this they're working on this very mathematical concept i mean this right. is this is certainly not a oh i was looking out the window the other day and i saw that all numbers are going to be, even, are going to be the sum of two primes, right? So it's, it's right. certainly not a, what you would consider right. traditional natural observation, but it's sort of an observation from looking at, oh, hey, look at all these numbers, this is this is something that seems to work, right? So right. it has this, this aspect right. of what I would consider more traditional science, and the process in terms of experimentation, sort of numerical simulation in some ways you could almost think of it, right. um, is similar to the way... Most scientists would go about it, but there's this difference of, you know, we're waiting for absolute proof before we can say it's true. And that might be the real sticking point.
0: Whatever the consequences of the mathematics turns out to be is going to have consequences for the predictions of physical theories. So the Riemann hypothesis, for example, is Mm -hmm. one that shows up in string theory and quantum gravity and things like that. We don't have a proof, not for the Riemann hypothesis. We and, do not, and so whatever direction that goes, and it's it is very abstract and, and yeah, that's and a much more difficult thing the, to explain. I'm not, i not even going right, to try. that. I don't want to that do that. But it, but in yeah. terms of that, there are kind of physicists waiting to see right. what the outcome of that is because it's going to affect what the uh, physics turns out to be. Sometimes you approach a problem specifically because
1: there is a natural phenomenon you're trying to explain and sometimes you're doing something, but then it turns out it actually applies to something else, right? I mean, the the Riemann hypothesis, right?
0: You know, is one these of those these things kind of abstract things. There's now a things.
1: lot of things that, that come about that that actually this is relevant to, but right. that wasn't necessarily the reason why people started looking at it in the first place,
0: right? And I think that's something that you see a lot of in mathematics, where w- what we would think of as being just kind of pure mathematics go off into the field and and examine your own navel yeah. mathematically comes back to bite us it comes back to hit reality again you right. know i mean the the famous one is riemann when you had euclidean geometry the idea that everything was flat and lines were parallel mm-hmm. or not and and then riemann went off on this abstract curved space thing and yeah that's yeah. nice it's it's yeah, nice that's pure cute. Mathem- M- yeah, work and right. then and then we get to relativity and it's like, oh golly that actually yes. is a physical now theory that we need Riemann mathematics yeah. and Riemann geometry in order to do physics yeah. now.
1: Yeah, one of my colleagues has a cartoon on his door that says all, all math is applied eventually.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty good.
1: So the the other thing I want to say when I when I first heard this conversation is that I brought this up to a few people, including my colleague, Paul Wanger, and his, his response was to invoke the great Bryce Harper of the Washington Nationals and say, that, that's a clown question, bro. And <laughs> so like, why do we really care? Why what is it really important matter? to make this distinction? And I, I didn't know what, when you were thinking of this question, why, what was sort of the distinction that...
0: I think, my, think is for, for me as, as a physicist, it's very easy for me to lock into the idea of mathematics as a tool. And I know it's more subtle than that, but, but just kind of on a basic level, I do think of physics and models and experimentation is what makes a scientific theory, which mathematics seems to lack and I know that's a common view of, of physicists.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess I, I sort of, I worry that the classification sometimes, it does a disservice, and especially as we get sort of farther yeah. and farther along, it seems like many more of the fields sort of blur together.
0: On a, on a kind of a separate thing, I know one of the discussions that's in mathematics is whether it's independent of physics or not. Yes. Does it depend on reality? Or yeah. is it separate yeah, yeah, yeah. from the universe? Well, I
1: think there's certainly a lot of, there's part of the the scientific method, right, that has to do with Falsifiability, falsifiability. Like whether they can be falsi- right. falsified or not, and so you know you've got theoretical physicists like string theorists yep. right, that that are running into this. Are we still doing physics? Because Deeply so. There's yeah. there's a deep argument about that. Yeah, and we have a numerical relativity group in our math department here at RIT. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of overlap, and uh, I would say I'm, I'm going to guess that. Physicists probably sometimes would joke with each other disparagingly about being a mathematician, not a physicist,
0: and mathematicians the other way would make fun of each other for saying we, you're we not do. a mathematician, yeah, you're a physicist. Yeah, so. people people will always, you know, the other departments are more comical than we are. Yes, we, we are the true science. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. And yeah, and we we feel the same way, right? You don't you don't belong here. You right.
1: Go go hang out with those other people. Right. And
0: a lot of it, I think, is, it really is the categorization. You know, that that in some sense. I'm a physicist, not a mathematician, in part because I have a physics degree and I'm right. in a physics department. And you're a mathematician, in part because yes. you're in the math department. And so it depends on what department you're in. You know, we have that with chemistry, is material science physics or chemistry? It depends on who's doing it. You right. know, is environmental science, is it chemistry, is it physics, is it mathematics? Yeah. Depends on your department. And when you're teaching it, somehow it makes a difference. When you get into meeting
1: other professors, you actually find out that a large portion of them are professors in things that they didn't study. Right. I know a lot of Oceanographers who were electrical engineers. Right, um, right. Or mathematicians who became oceanographers. That wasn't what they studied. And, and I think it works uh, you get lot lot that lot of way crossover. a lot. There's a lot of crossover. Right. So at a certain point, what you end up doing is maybe not necessarily what you learned, or maybe actually, to put it another way, maybe what you learned applies to a lot of different fields. And it's hard exactly, exactly to categorize yeah. one, put them in nice, discrete right. bins.
0: You're listening to One Universe at a Time. I'm your host, Brian Coberline. We've been talking with Dr. Matt Hoffman, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at RIT, about whether or not math is a science. In the second half of our show, Dr. Hoffman has a few questions to ask me. He wants to know the difference between a scientific theory and a law.
1: So after the discussion we just had about definitions, I wanted to ask you one that comes up a lot in physics, and that is, how do we distinguish between what we consider a law and what we consider a theory?
0: I think the typical view is that a law is somehow bigger than a theory. That you go kind of from, from a model or a hypothesis to a theory to a law and the law becomes the absolute truth. And in reality a law is just simply an observed relationship.
1: I almost feel like the theory in some ways becomes bigger
0: than yes. the law
1: that, that, that actually that's sort of the other way around. The than, scientific than theory would be,
0: would be a stronger claim than yeah. a law. Yeah. A law is just simply this happens. Don't know why. So if you look at Kepler's Laws, for example, planets move in ellipses. Why? They do. I don't know, but they do. We observe this and we can follow that. Right. You know, The law of gravity is things fall. Near the earth they fall at 9.8 meters per second squared. Why? No idea. Whereas a theory is actually a construct that connects Ideas and observations. So, in yeah. some ways, a
1: law is the part of a theory that is sort of nice for marketing purposes. You, 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 have, you have a nice a nice relationship, a nice sort of soundbite that that comes. Yeah, out I think it's
0: it's a simple rule that we yeah. see observationally, and it's not necessarily always true. If you say, for example, there's there's things for a spring. The, the more you stretch a spring, the the more it will pull back yeah. on you, and it's called Hooke's law. Yes, Hooke's law is a thing that some materials obey to within certain limits, right. but some materials do not. It is not an absolute truth. Right.
1: Well gravity works this way too, right?
0: Gravity works this way too, yeah. Or Kepler's laws or anything like that. If we okay. say the law of gravity, you know, we have this, this rate of fall, but it's not exactly 9.8 meters per second squared. Right, and, and depending on the scale, it might or may not work. it might or not work, But it doesn't yeah. sound nearly as good to say the, the
1: law of gravity when we're in a space With that's sort of not really too small or too big. Right, yeah. right who decides what becomes a law and what becomes a theory? Because it seems some ways that there are things
0: that I might consider a law that, that would be a theory or, or a theory that there would a yeah. law. And. I think it comes from from a kind of bastardized history okay. of science and that, that we tend to categorize things because they were useful and then we tend to rewrite our idea of history to match. Kepler's law is a really good example of that one because we kind of portray it as you know kepler came up with these rules and they were laws and that was perfectly acceptable and then we found newton who who then expanded it right. but that's not actually what happened what actually happened was these ideas were already there before kepler and and when kepler kind of synthesized them they were nice rules but they weren't called laws until after newton okay so it originally early it 1800s. was kepler's theory or just the kepler's model i'm not sure model. exactly historically okay. what it was called but there was still controversy about It's a nice trick. It's a calculating tool. Mm -hmm. It's a mathematical tool that you can use, but it doesn't explain anything in the context other than, well, it allows us to calculate what the motions of the planets are. So there is this transition, then, that happens from considering something a model or a theory to then graduating to being called a law. And we have laws that we, we call laws. But, but we know they're not true. Uh, Bode's Law, for example, mm-hmm. for the distance of the planets, right. was a rule that came up. It became known as Bode's Law. We know it's nonsense. It's just numerology. But it is something that's still called a law. There's not really any universal standards. There's no uh, governing body that makes no, this there's distinction. No, there's of, no, this is, no official this is, this is body of scientific a law, law that, 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 stamped, that says, right? it's a, you know, now you're a bill. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: <laughs> It's just sort of something that happens in the, the general... Consciousness, somehow, it yeah. gets talked about, and someone writes a paper, and they call this a law, and a bunch of people cite that paper and can t- continue calling it a law.
0: Right, and I yeah. think within the historical context of things, that when we tell the story of science we, is when we often... Has start introducing these I think things as laws because we like to tell a very clean story of science that some genius discovered this and then some other genius discovered yes. this and it's never like that it's yeah. always this collaboration of a lot of people pushing back and forth
1: and it's also probably useful from a pedagogical perspective too to be able to tell students this newton's law yes first day learning right? right or B, in, B. in my textbook here are the laws these are this is your study guide right you should know all of the laws right. memorize these and right. know how to calculate where it's them. harder to say Understand gravitational theory. Right. Go. This is your homework.
0: <laughs> Derive theory from first principles. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like that's, a, that's a harder thing to do. But I, I think right. it is sometimes confusing to me as a mathematician-scientist, whatever we decided in the first segment, and I'm sure much more to people who aren't in the in the sort of scientific field, to, to sort of think about which is actually a, a bigger deal, right? That right. this sort of law has this connotation as being more important, and in some ways you normally think about things graduating to a law. Right. But the theory in some way is actually what's explaining what's actually happening. And it sort of
0: encompasses more of the the topic. Well, and Um, I think in in some sense, we we use law in different ways. So we'll say something like the law of gravity. And we know that it's a relationship. But when we say something like the laws of physics, that usually means however the universe actually works whether they're known or not. Yeah. So hidden the hidden equations the hidden equations, Right, the hidden yeah. equations behind the universe. And so the theories are an approach to get closer and closer to the true laws of physics, as opposed to, well, here's a relationship that we call a law.
1: In a sense sense, a law sort of has to be written in mathematical language. So that's, yeah. that's sort of the general way you would like to talk right. about Right, you have
0: some relationship between yeah. quantities, and that would be a mathematical <clears throat> relation.
1: So this idea of a of a theory or a law, do, do things get sort of upgraded or downgraded? Right the so getting downgraded from a theory makes you a hypothesis again or just not true in some sense? I mean but is this do things go sort of up and up and back or are they sort of just sort of stay there? You said that some laws are known to be untrue but they still are called laws.
0: Right. Well I think the terms in, in terms of specific laws they just have a certain context in what we call them. In terms of theories, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we have the idea of just a theory. Right. Things, an idea or what we would kind of call a hypothesis. Yes. And then you have a theory that then gets proven wrong. And this is one of the arguments that, that come up is that, well, scientists shouldn't say that's the way it is. It's the way it might be because you might be wrong. Yeah. And, and of course, every scientist would say, well, yeah, you know, the, the theory of gravity or the theory of evolution might be wrong. But when we talk about a scientific theory, we have a lot of evidence to back that up. There's yes. a confluence of evidence that makes it a very robust theory. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that gets pushed to the side is the idea that even if we come up with a better theory, the theory that we've had before works just as well as it always did. Right. And uh, the Newton to, to Einstein is a really good example of that because you have Newton's theory of gravity... And we know, on some sense, that's wrong. Einstein proved it wrong. It's incomplete. So we've come up with a better theory of Einstein's gravity. But at the same time, Newton's theory of gravity works as well as it ever did in Newton's time. Everything that Newton claimed about it and could confirm observationally is still true. And in fact, when we do things like calculating the the motions of satellites, to to send them out to the planets. We don't use Einstein. We use Newton because we don't need the precision of Einstein. Newton's good enough. And so... When the satellites are orbiting, we do need uh, Einstein. And and this is one of those those things that's that's interesting about how a lot of, uh, particularly in physics, we focus a lot on models. And we will pull different aspects of models when they're useful. So, for example, the satellites, the the GPS satellites, for example, going around... We use Newton's laws of gravity to describe their orbits Mm -hmm. because that's good enough. When we do the timing of these satellites to to calculate the positions, we have to account for the time dilation and relativity. So we're using Newton's models for their motion and then Einstein's model for their timing and then we're using quantum mechanics to calculate the the clock measurements. And, And so all of these are kind of incompatible models in some sense. But for this regime, this works. And for this regime, that works. And so we put them all together. And it's a matter of the precision that you need to, right. to do it right. properly. And that's that's the real key, Is particularly in terms of applied physics, where you're looking at you have to come up with the things that work. Right. And there is empirical
1: evidence that supports everything that is being put forward in terms of the hypothesis right. for, it, for it to be a theory. The, the
0: kind of common statement is that any any physical theory will live or die based on the evidence. Right. That, that the most beautiful theory can be... Just uh, killed or eliminated or thrown out by by actual data that disproves it. I think the the sort of
1: term theory is is sort of confusing because we've had enough. It gets used so much in other slightly other contexts where there's right. not as much evidence, right? You, you know, right. you see, you watch enough crime shows or things like that. It's always right. I have this theory. This murder happened. No. I have a theory about what happened. Right? There's right. no no real evidence behind this or anything. Um, right. Although. Maybe eventually, if they're doing the crime scene show properly, there will be. But um, <laughs> zooming in. <and> yes, yeah. <laughs> but that's sort of the way you know the way you sort of think about it, and so that right. I think it sometimes does a disservice to the science because right. people tend to sort of latch on to oh this this is a theory right and, um, or it's just a theory it's just a theory and, and
0: it could be wrong right right like there's which Andy, is true I mean which, yeah. and that's yes. that's an important aspect of yes. science is to recognize that any of our theories could in fact be wrong. Right. And we have to be willing to accept that evidence may disprove them. Yes. But, but, at, but the at the same, same time, you have at, to be willing to
1: accept that there is a lot of evidence that supports. Right. I mean,
0: flying in a plane, for example, is supported by just a theory of aerodynamics. <laughs> yes. And that theory could be wrong, but I bet you're willing to bet your life on it. Yeah. I and am. I bet you're willing to bet your kid's life on it, you know, because we have this confirmed. Right. So, so being a theory is not a bad thing.
1: Do you think this is something that as a scientific community, people need to do a better job of sort of conveying this distinction? I mean,
0: does it get, get lost somehow? Is, do we sort of take it for granted? I think that's part of the problem. I mean, I think part of it is that we don't do a good job in, in explaining, I guess in some sense, the odds. Right. You know, in that we have theories that are, are accurate to the limits of certain observations. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, mm-hmm. but in a very real and practical sense, they don't have to be perfect. Right. You know, we can say for all intents and purposes, this is true. Yeah. Now, that may become something different down the line, but we can count on this because we know that it makes accurate models. Yeah. It, it predicts accurate results. It relates to a lot of things in science when we talk about something like climate change or vaccines that are very controversial for some people. When you can say, well, how far do you have to go? When you know. Right. And of, uh, Phil Plate just did a, a recent one where talking about a meteor impact. Mm-hmm. If you had a big meteor coming towards Earth and 95% of astronomers said it's going to hit Earth yeah. and it's going to wipe out a city, we would probably want to do something about it. Yeah. And we wouldn't argue about, well, but 5% say that it won't. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the experts are saying that it is. You yes. know, if. If you take climate change and 95% of the experts are saying this is actually true, do we ignore them or do we actually listen to them?
1: Yeah, and this is something, I mean, I've heard people speak, uh, Yale has a a center for climate communication. Mm -hmm. um, And and one of the things I've heard them say is that the biggest thing that you can convey to people about climate change is that there is strong scientific consensus, that it is 97% scientific consensus right that's that's sort of if people hear that they understand the percentages a little bit better and they feel more confident in it
0: we've been talking with dr matt hoffman an assistant professor of mathematics at the rochester institute of technology our program is produced at rit by mark gillespie with support from the rit college of science i'm your host brian korberlein thanks for listening to one universe at a time